This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Today we're going to be focusing on all things related to productivity. I'm going to be chatting to Martine Ellis and she's the voice of the Teaching Space podcast, a podcast for teachers and trainers who want to love their jobs and be amazing teachers but without taking work, home, evenings and weekends. And we're going to be discussing some of the tools which she recommends and things which have really helped her in her podcast but also working in further education and teacher training. Now, just before we start this conversation, I want to thank everyone who supported and been involved in the GoFundMe campaign, which has just been launched, about bringing lots of the resources, advice and information that we share in the podcast and create it into a book which is child-friendly that we want to be able to gift to as many children as possible. Now, the last two episodes have been all about this, so you can go back and listen to those. But if you want a quick link where you can see a video and find out about all the information and everything related to it, please go to Education on Fire dot com forward slash book and that'll take you straight to the gofundme page that's educationonfire.com forward slash book but now here's my conversation with martine ellis talking about productivity hi martine thank you so much for joining us here on the education on fire podcast i'm excited to be able to share this whole idea of productivity and things which can just help our life not just tools for tools sakes but things that make a big difference in our in our day-to-day life as it is so thank you so much for being here Mark, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited to be on your show. Let's start with with you. Why is this such an important thing um, in your life in terms of what you teach and, and what you've got on your podcast? And, and how did it become such an integral part of everything that you're about? How did I come become utterly obsessed with productivity? That's <laughs> such a good question. Um, I think my interest in productivity grew out of my move into teaching. So to give you a bit of context there. I've been working in education for about 12 years now. And prior to that, I was in a completely different industry. I was a director of a trust company. I live in Guernsey in the Channel Islands and finance is a very big industry for us. So so I went from um, the corner office of a very, <laughs> a very, very wealthy organization uh, with a a big team of staff supporting me. I went from having a sports car to uh, a smart car. Not that there's anything wrong with smart (laughs) cars. I love my smart car. I I had a really big shift in career. I went from that to a trainee teacher role effectively in further education. And that transition, while it was absolutely the best thing I've ever done in my life, was utterly terrifying. And I've said this many times before in various sort of podcasts that I've done and things, but I I have never worked so hard in my life in that trainee teacher role, if even comparing that to my director role. So when I moved from finance to teaching, I had to very quickly develop lots of strategies related to productivity and of course, well-being as well. Being able to be more productive made me able to stay well and healthy and able to do this really super challenging new job that I found myself in. So I think that's where it started. And did you find it 
um, I guess, the experience of having that different type of job, it sounds like you kind of understood something needed to be put in place in order for you to achieve this sort of next stage of your life. Is that experience important? And and if it is, how would you maybe suggest to someone who's younger coming into the profession that they can think along those lines to begin with? I think the reason I identified very quickly that I needed to put some sort of productivity strategies in place and very much put boundaries around my time and things like that is because that transition was such a it was so so shocking in a way I I when I was working in finance I sort of ran my own day I decided what happened when I booked my own appointments it was remarkably relaxed when I moved into education I, I was working to a timetable for the first time in my life since being at school and that kind of shock to the system really was quite something. And I think um, for someone maybe younger than me going into teaching, this awareness of how having a timetable affects you and affects what your day looks like. If you've never done it before or the last time you did it was at school, it's quite surprising. And so I think one of the most important things to come out of that was learning how to establish boundaries around my time, in particular my personal time. And do you think that the well-being aspect is really the place to start and then the tools and the idea of productivity then helps you achieve what you're about personally rather than it just being something to do for the sake of it? Yeah, I think the well-being element has to come first. And I didn't grasp how important that was right at the very start. It was only probably sort of two years into my teaching career that I worked out that well-being has to come first. Because as a teacher, regardless of which education sector you are in, you're responsible for looking after a group of people. And if you're unable to look after yourself first and make sure you're in the best possible shape, I don't mean physical shape, I just mean shape in general. If you're not in the best possible frame of mind, if you don't feel well or whatever, you can't look after those people. You can't be the best possible teacher you can be until you've looked after your own needs. And that really sounds a bit counterintuitive because as a teacher, you're you're all about looking after the needs of your students. That's your job. That's what you do. But you have to look after yourself first. And I think that's a, that was a big learning curve for me. Yeah, I really love that. And I think the idea of modeling that's come up quite a lot in in recent months for us in terms of especially during the lockdown because it was kind of you were so kind of confined with our own children and and they're sort of seeing what you do and how you do it and our understanding of our daily walks were really important and looking after ourselves and, and taking time out of our work life even though we were all working either at school or sort of working from home the idea of that them seeing us doing what we were doing as well as them talking about it was important and I think that's true whether you think your students actually understand that's the case I think they do see it and like you say you show up as your best your best self and that's the best thing that you can do for anybody yeah I agree with that completely I mean lockdown obviously has been and for many still is a a very challenging time but one of the good things to come out of it I believe is that we've had to reassess the emphasis we place on well-being and things like that I love what you said about modeling because uh, to take this to a slightly different level one of my sort of my main teaching role is teaching trainee teachers So what was quite interesting is when I was having to teach from home and use lots of online tools and things like that, I was able to model that practice to them as well. So I was modeling both the well-being stuff 
anytime I could, but also trying to model the ad- adapted teaching practice as well. So modeling's really exciting for me. And let's talk about the tools. Let, let's talk about what it is that's made the biggest difference to, to you and, and why you use them and how it's really had such an impact. I love a toolkit conversation. <laughs> I think I think if you've got any productivity nerds listening to this, and I say that with all love because I class myself as a productivity nerd, they will love dipping into my toolkit. So I, I'm going to focus on my what I would call my productivity tools rather than my sort of teaching tools. But obviously, they by ensuring I stay as productive and as efficient as I can, it feeds into my teaching. So. I'm going to talk first of all about Notion. Have you heard of Notion at all? I haven't, no. Okay, so Notion builds itself. Forgive me, I don't have like the website on screen or anything like that, but it builds itself. It builds itself as a build your own workspace type tool. So you can do anything with it from task ma- task management to project management to keeping notes to storing files to communicating with people it's like a big blank canvas and the idea behind notion is it can actually replace a lot of the different apps you use already whether that be spreadsheet uh, like google docs google sheets or whatever don't, don't get me wrong i love google but it's it's a replacement tool for lots of lots and lots of other apps so I've been playing with Notion for quite a few years now, and it's only recently the things that I want to read later, lots and lots of different things. Also some personal stuff as well, like I have my CV on Notion, I can meal plan on Notion. So it's got lots of uses. It's a really interesting tool. And actually, any teachers with like an education email domain can get their personal pro plan free Uh, So it's really worth Googling Notion for educators to find out a little bit more. So at the moment, that's my primary sort of task management and note-taking tool. Previous to that, I used TickTick. I'm still a really big fan of TickTick. It does, it does very well. But Notion interested me because I could build it into whatever I wanted it to be. Now, for some people, the blank screen of Notion, the idea of having to build it yourself is just too much of a time investment. You have to do too much reading and research in order to build it. I totally get that. So if Notion's not for you for task and project management, then I would recommend TickTick. That's my first. What I really like about that, and and I've come across this myself in in recent times, is the fact that you're right. When you've got multiple apps and various things that you use, when you just want to be able to find something, I, I, I had that. Oh, I put this note in over here, and I had this little bit of information over there, and then I couldn't quite remember. And so, it can work like that as long as you're incredibly organised and you know what you put where. But I think to have everything under one umbrella so that you just know here you are and away you can go, that has to really help you. I think. It really does. I mean, it hasn't replaced lots and lots and lots of apps for me, but it's replaced a good few. So, for example, at my college, I we're a Google college, so we use G Suite for education, Google Drive, Google Docs for everything. And it wouldn't be appropriate for me to be putting that stuff into Notion necessarily, but I still use Notion to man- manage my work-related tasks. Got you. Uh, so it's not replaced everything for me, but it's it has replaced good bit so things like off the top of my head I was using pocket as my read it later app um, I was taking notes in Ulysses which is a, an Apple app that I that I really like an iOS app um, but I don't tend to use that anymore because I'm doing my academic notes in Notion 
Uh, I'm like I mentioned, I'm doing a master's at the moment with the Open University and they're very Office 365 based. So while I do my assignments in Word, because that's what they want, I still take my notes on all the journals and things that I'm reading in Notion. Wow. Yeah, that, that I can I can and yeah, I, I can sort of see the the, the pitch of building from that point of view and that yeah makes so much sense great so what's your what's your next recommendation my my next tool of choice if you've got somewhere to put your tasks and you've got somewhere to put your notes there's one really essential sort of missing jigsaw piece there and that's a calendar app and i keep it super super simple i use google calendar for pretty much everything except my work appointments and again that's because we run outlook at work however i get my outlook appointments for work feeding into my google calendar and i can toggle them on and off so i still class google calendar as my main calendar tool and obviously i use that for sort of blocking in events and you know appointments and that sort of thing I'll also put my teaching commitments in there so I can see that really clearly. And I sometimes use it for time blocking. And that's when I'm super busy and I want to be really strategic with my time. So I will very clearly block out chunks of time to do certain pieces of work. I really like that. And it's something which I've come across from a few people I've spoken to about the idea of, of scheduling absolutely everything. Even if it's scheduling in your break, it's scheduling you know, quarter of an hour to do this one piece of something. It might be completely work-related. It might be home-related. It might just be, I need to make these phone calls to these couple of people to make sure this has been organised. And if it's scheduled and it's on your calendar, then you will do it. When you suddenly have this little bit of space that you kind of ease into, a lot of those things that you want to get done often don't seem to be. And I think using that calendar app more and more and more I, I think makes you more productive but I think it also takes some of the weight off your shoulder of, of the ongoing things which are going on so I think from that practical diary sense but also from a kind of a life um, organizing sense I think it's such an important thing and I think the other thing it's really helpful for is allowing you to look back on how you spend your time. Because if you are having some issues where you're sort of right up to capacity and you're feeling a bit stressed because you're so busy, you can just look back on the past couple of weeks if you're time blocking and go, oh, yeah, OK, I've been spending a lot of time on that. Is that right? Should I be doing that? Is there any way I can get any support with that particular type of activity? Should it be taking me this long? So I think there are lots of benefits to using a calendar app for time blocking yeah i love that it's that's really insightful and i love the idea of looking back it's a it's like the, the sort of where did all my money go when you've calculated everything and, <laughs> and you realizing that you spent 400 pounds this month on coffee or whatever it happens to be um but yeah <laughs> that sounds you, familiar yeah you you only know that when you can see it and if it's not there then you don't know uh, yeah i think that's a, a really really brilliant thing to be able to be aware of so number three Number three, I have opted for suggesting that your listeners should have a quick capture app, Drafts, for that. Although I might stop using Drafts soon because I think Notion is going to become my quick capture app. Now, what I mean by quick capture is if you're on the go, you're out and about, you've just got your phone with you. Uh, if you're on a phone call, if you get a random idea or you think, oh, I'm, I need, a, there's a to-do list item I need to do. Ah, um, you need an, an app that you can open up super quickly and just note something down. And then the idea is anything in your quick capture app will ultimately end up in your task management or project management system. So somewhere where you can just really quickly capture anything important. And the idea with a quick capture app is you review it every day and you sort of take 
everything from that app and put it into the right place, whether that's task management, a document filing system. I mean, of course, a quick capture app, a really good example of a quick capture app would be a notepad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so for some people, it's carrying around a little pocket sized notepad that they can take everywhere with them. But I'm sort of 98 percent digital. So for me, it needs to be an app. And what's great about drafts is you tap it to open it on your phone and it always opens a brand new document for you. And so there's like minimal taps. There's one tap and you're there and you can note what you need to note, whether that's something you just dictate or type it or you do a doodle or whatever it is. So it's a really handy, quick capture app. Like I said, I might not be using it for much longer because I think Notion can do that for me, but I'm still experimenting. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is just to have those things going in your head, isn't it? I mean, what I liked about that particular thing that you mentioned is the fact that, oh, it opens on a new, on a new document or it opens in a new page. It's like, that just saves so much time and thought process when you need to do something quick. And it's it's when you come across all these tools, it is actually finding what works for you and why it is rather than it. It's just the one that's on my phone or one that just happens to be that I use. Actually thinking through all of those processes is a really important thing to make your life easier, which is what all these things are about, of course. Yeah, definitely. And it sounds like such a small thing, the idea that you don't have to do multiple taps to open up a new document, but actually these little sort of micro actions that you have to do all add up you may only save a second or two by using this particular app but you have to think about the sort of bigger picture and how much time ultimately that saves you in the long run yeah and, and I, one of those things that's occurred to me just as we were chatting then is the fact that I keep at the moment spending time just capturing photos of various things that I need to do but then of course it ends up in your stream of photos which just gets lost in the ether of a million photos that you've got in all sorts of areas and actually having a place where you can just have important things like for me as a musician it's usually a, a piece of music or something that I'm especially with social distancing at the moment being able to see something electronically with someone who's got a hard copy of something that it, it just that organization just really really helps when you're coming back to it lesson over lesson Definitely. And I think this this kind of is a hybrid version of one of the concepts that David Allen in his very well-known productivity book, Getting Things Done, introduces. The idea of having one trusted place to store all of that incoming information into your brain. Um, so you might call it an inbox, you might call it a quick capture area, you could call it anything. But if you've got stuff all over the place, whether that's physical stuff or digital stuff, you're you're going to drop a ball very, very quickly. But if you've just got one place where everything goes and then you filter it from there into the correct places, the filing areas, if you will, then you're ultimately going to be a lot more productive. Great. And what was your fourth one that you, you said was your, your, your last of your, your initial uh, important elements? So I thought I'd, I'd pick an email app for this one. And I'm, I'm sort of cheating a little bit because, as I mentioned, I use Outlook for work. But I'm going to highlight my personal email because I've got a couple of, of different email accounts. I've got one for my podcast. I've got a personal one. I've got one for a sort of creative small business that I own. So I've been experimenting with different email clients. Ultimately, my email is Gmail, but I, I didn't like the Gmail app particularly. So I've been trying a few different ones and I've settled on Spark email, which is a free tool uh, and it has smart inboxes, which I really like. I'm a big fan of Inbox Zero. 
I try to keep my inbox as empty as possible. And I have sort of strategies for, for, for dealing with that. But as an email client, Spark Email, I've really enjoyed using the, it just, it looks nice and it works exactly as I want it to work. You can customize your swipe options for when you're on your mobile. It's a really nice email tool. I think that's really important. And I think most people these days have multiple emails, don't they? If you've got your work, you've got your personal, you might have something related to, like you say, a different business or a hobby or, or something where you just want to keep everything separate. And I think having something which you can use easily is really important. And I, and I struggle with that as well, that kind of, you end up using just what you use because it's kind of what you know and actually being a bit more um, focused and a bit more intentional about it, I think is an important thing to, to really look into. I like that you brought up sort of having various emails, including your work email there. And I just want to highlight something that with a sort of well-being and boundary hat on, I very strategically don't put my work email on my mobile device the boundaries that I like to have in place that's really important for me so if I'm going to be doing some work work as opposed to outside of work work (laughs) (laughs) I will have to specifically go to my computer go to Outlook sort of log in through my work system and deal with teaching work there and then so I, I don't have my work emails on my mobile that's really important to me yeah I do exactly the same for my different the schools that I teach at because I'm obviously as a music um, drum percussion teacher I'm, I'm in different places doing different things and I do exactly the same I have to be very intentional about going in and this is what I'm doing at this time and then coming away and and something which I've seen actually in the last week or two that teachers have mentioned is the fact that WhatsApp now is becoming a real mental health issue in lots of ways because there are lots of multiple groups that are being set up either within your school or within your workplace and that's so immediate and instead of people sending what should be a work email that you should be working at in the right time it becomes an immediate can you just look at this can you just do this or we're thinking about this and it just becomes bombarding in a different setting and I think the your idea of the boundaries and how that works across everything that you do within teaching is a really really important factor. I think uh, the WhatsApp situation has the potential to be really damaging. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm on WhatsApp. I think it's a good tool. I have a couple of colleagues on WhatsApp because they're also friends, but I'm very careful to only use WhatsApp for friend-related stuff. The sort of the biggest crossover with work there would be, um, shall we grab lunch? You know, on the, on <laughs> the important the, parts on the of WhatsApp. the yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, just, I'm just conscious I sounded very old because I just referred to it as the WhatsApp. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um, that does have the potential to be a really damaging thing if organisations are using social tools for business purposes. I think it's a really dangerous area. And as a as a senior leader, if there are any senior leaders listening to this particular episode, I, I really recommend you reflect on the boundary issue there. Have you given members of your staff the opportunity to opt out of that if it's not the right tool for them um i really believe that work stuff should be done using work systems and let's just go in a little bit we've kind of covered it in some ways but in terms of how these tools help you within your life and it is boundaries and it is about compartmentalizing i guess when you're doing different things even if that's within the work setting and and well-being as a whole but can you kind of sort of articulate 
that in in a sort of a focused way in terms of how you perceive it and how you're able to sort of separate those strands so that you feel like you have control which I guess ultimately then is the way of having your resilience and and feeling like you are in control of your life and therefore your well-being naturally just becomes much better because of that. I think having super clear boundaries that everybody around me both personally and professionally is clear on is essential and by using my sort of strong sense of boundaries I actually I'm able to help other people establish them too Uh, that sounds a bit odd but because I'm so strict with boundaries um others around me kind of start picking up on it and it it often works for them too in terms of sort of how it helps personal and work life those two are very separate of course I mean I can get loads done (laughs) that's the reality I mean personally at the moment I I must full disclosure here I don't have children so I, I don't have that sort of added layer of um, massive enormous time commitment so I, I want to be very clear because there will be people with children listening to this thinking that's impossible if you've got kids I thoroughly respect that I get to spend quality time with my husband I get to exercise I'm working on a master's as I mentioned I do lots of stuff outside of that for example I have for the past I've I lose track of how many years, I'm going to say three years or so, consistently put podcast episodes out. I'm able to have a small creative business, which I run for fun. So I'm able to get a lot done. And in work, the same thing applies. I manage a dual role at the the FE college that I work at, the Guernsey College of Further Education. I'm managing a dual role of being head of professional development, but also I have a teaching role as well. So I, I have a sort of program leader role and I have a function leader role. And that's a dual role is really complicated, particularly when you're managing a teaching workload. So by having these boundaries and having these strategies in place, I do get a lot done. Obviously, I'm human, I get tired, I get burnt out, I drop balls occasionally, but I feel that all of these things help me work in the best way that I can. And I think the, I think the boundary issue is important, and I think there are two sides of it. There, there's, a, there's a professional boundary in terms of it has to look like this, or this is what I'm doing, and, and it feels quite fixed. But I think there's a slightly nuanced boundary as well, in as much as if, if someone sends you an email, and it may be relatively important, but it's not, you know, it doesn't need immediate attention. If you always reply straight away yourself, then the person who you're dealing with or, or communicating with always expects you to reply immediately. Yeah, I think that email example is a really good one because you're absolutely right. If you always respond to emails you know, immediately, the effect of that is you've trained the people around you to to expect an immediate response. That's actually on you. You feel it, that it's on them, but it's not. It's on you and you have to work hard to retrain them. And there are lots of ways you can do that. But that kind of reflection and realisation can really help the process of boundary setting, without a doubt. I mean, for me, I try to keep my emails closed down and only open them at points in the day when I'm going to reply to emails Um, and that seems to work well ways you can deal with any anxiety around that is to let people know that if an email is urgent they can pick up the phone to you and give those people who need to speak to you urgently a phone number of course you have to train them not to abuse that privilege of having that phone number but still I mean it's, it's a it's a cracking example of boundary management yeah and and another thing which I, I just want to mention here is the is the utilizing of time because 
I like the fact that you can shut things off and you only do it at certain points of your day because I think that, like you say, it gives your brain the space it needs and, and it really allows you to feel like you're in control. On the flip side of that, sometimes I quite like the fact I find myself with five minutes while I'm in the car waiting to pick up our kids, for example, because that then becomes quite a useful time just to get through a few things, which otherwise would take time out of the rest of my day when I can actually just be productive in in a very sort of quick and easy way, which sometimes has to be on the fly. So I think understanding how that all fits within your life is important and I think it all starts from you it's it's why are you doing it are you doing it because you think this is right for you now or are you doing it because you think other people expect it to be a certain way and I think that's usually my gauge in terms of why or why not I'm doing something yeah you have to start with you at the end of the day you know you live with you (laughs) so you've (laughs) you've got to get you right first (laughs) of all absolutely and the way I do things won't work for everybody else I'm I'm not saying that this is the only way to work you look at your life your circumstances your job your family all of those essential things and find a system that works for you yeah and I think the idea of systems and tools and how that is they're there for you it's exactly what it is it's a tool to, to help your life so you spoke about the teaching space podcast how did that come about related to your to your professional work was it something you wanted to share was it something you wanted to explore was it a hobby idea to begin with and and sort of take us through the benefits and what it is that was your sort of guiding light for that well I've always loved podcasting I say always obviously podcasting has not been around forever but I have been podcasting in one way or another for over 10 years which is a long time in podcasting world isn't it (laughs) it really is yeah I was a very early adopter my first podcast was uh, called I make and it was about uh, creativity and handmade stuff it was basically a knitting podcast there's a massive knitting podcast community out there and I had another couple of shows after that so I've always loved the the medium I like audio because I like to be able to listen while I'm going out for a walk or I like to be able to listen to something and sit and knit something or I like the idea of listening to audio while I'm doing something else. Oh, yeah, cooking. I always listen to podcasts when I'm cooking, that sort of thing. So I love the medium. Uh, I had the experience of going from corporate finance to teaching that complete moment of, wow, this is so different and there are so many new things I need to learn and new strategies. I had that behind me. So I had kind of a journey that I'd been through. Sorry, that sounds a bit cheesy to talk about my journey, but <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but it's true. It, yeah. it is the truth. You know, I had been through some sort of journey. I had had times in my very early teaching career when I felt utterly burned out and I didn't know what to do I was exhausted and I lent on some colleagues who were super helpful and I learned a lot from them and I kind of wanted to package all of that up in a way that could help people who potentially would have had some of those negative experiences that I had I wanted to be able to give back a bit to the people who helped me and also share my experience and also develop as somebody who really wants to be very efficient and very productive and and have that elusive work-life balance whatever that truly means um I've become a person so now I'm over 40 I do think it is an age thing for me (laughs) now I'm over 40 I value exercise and well-being and fresh air so much more and I now realize how helpful it is for me and it's all of that message mushed up into a podcast let's just take back into into some of your experience or some teachers that you remember 
what sort of comes to mind when, when, when we think about that and how has that sort of supported you as you've now gone sort of full circle into supporting other teachers? I think you always, as a student, you, you always remember the great teachers who had a real influence on you. And then you always remember the teachers who, for whatever reason, you didn't think so highly of. You kind of, you kind of remember the two ends of the spectrum, don't you? And I have really fond memories of being in art classes. Um, and I can, I've got one really, really vivid memory of being in an art class and I can visualize the teacher. I'm really sad to say, I can't remember their name. And that teacher said to me, I would have been about, I would say, 14, something like that. You know what, Martine, you should be a teacher when you grow up. <laughs> and I can really remember that so vividly. And I didn't pursue the traditional route into teaching. Like I said, I'm in, in my 40s and I got into teaching about 12, 11, 12 years ago. So I had a whole other career before my teaching career. I didn't take that teacher's advice. But the fact that that teacher saw that in me has really stuck with me. And I kind of think, yeah, you were right. This is the best job I've ever done in my life. And I don't have any regrets that I didn't do it straight after sort of university and things like that. I, I don't regret that. The route that I've taken is exactly the right one for me. But it's just a really kind of nice, warm memory. Uh, when I was doing my teacher training, I didn't always have what I would call the the most um, current up-to-date teachers demonstrating the most positive teaching practice and that had an influence on how I behave as a teacher as well uh, as a trainer of teachers I want to model the absolute best practice I possibly can and so that's something that you know I've taken away from my learning. Yeah I, I really like that and I, I love the fact of that idea of when someone tells you something about yourself which then sort of comes back to you later on I've had those conversations someone said to me about the fact you're obviously going to be involved in education in, in, in a, really, <laughs> a really big way and I'm like but I'm a musician you know I kind of hit drums for a living and that kind of thing and then here I am you know with an education podcast which is sort of talking to people about education and I'm the vice chair of the National Association for Primary Education you know education's a big part of my life now as well as still obviously performing and and being a music teacher but it, it is really interesting at the time I remember thinking oh I'm not sure about that but then just deep down knowing yeah there's there's something to this and at some point obviously that can't, that all becomes a reality in some way or another. It's funny how some people around you have the power to see stuff you just can't see yourself. Absolutely. Um, so I completely, I completely relate. Um, and just as we, as we finish off now, is there any advice that you would give your younger self? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a couple of things spring to mind. Uh, my instant reaction is something around the importance of rest and relaxation and getting outside and moving and things like that. Certainly there have been points in my career, both early teaching career and pre-teaching where I didn't pay enough attention to any of that stuff. Um, you know, I've, I've described the fact that I get a lot of stuff done because I'm productive and I have strategies, but I wanna be really clear here. I schedule rest time <laughs> an exercise time and outdoor with the dog time it would be a piece of advice around that make time for rest relaxation and fun stuff that would be some advice and I I guess this one might be a bit controversial but take that risk and where that comes from is when I 
I probably could have gone into teaching a lot earlier, but I was frightened to take the risk. Uh, it's all worked out perfectly in the end, but I was pretty miserable in my finance career uh, for quite some time. It just wasn't the place that I was supposed to be. And I got kind of handcuffed to the role a little bit. We, we, will, we will refer to them as golden handcuffs because I was on a high salary. I didn't think I could take a pay cut. didn't think it was realistic. I thought the timing was wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, you know what? I took the risk. I actually moved into teaching on a maternity contract. I took a one-year contract. I left my finance job on a one-year contract in teaching and I never left. I took the risk. I did it then. Possibly an opportunity might have presented itself earlier. Teaching was what I always should have done. It's what I'm doing now. Um, so yeah, maybe take the risk. Well, that's what I love about these podcasts is it, it's having these conversations this is obviously between you and I, but also for everybody listening, it's the kind of conversations that you have in your head in so many ways, that kind of, you know, should I take the next step? Should I become a deputy? Should I take a senior leadership role? Should I actually step back a little bit? Should I actually change the way that I'm working within schools? Or or, or should I be in education in a different kind of way? You know, I mean, that's exactly what I did with the podcast. You know, it's that kind of, I've no idea where this is going, but it feels mm -hmm. like something I want to do. And then, you know, all these sort of years later and, and 160 something episodes, it's kind of, wow, I can't believe that it even crossed my mind that I wouldn't just because I thought I wouldn't be able to or shouldn't. And, um, and I think all those conversations that we share here on the show, but also that we have in our own heads and we have with our friends are really important. And if in doubt... Uh, as, as one of the big things which has been in my life in recent weeks and months is if not now when and 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 I think that's a really important thing and I think that this year certainly has been a really sort of guiding light from that point of view I'm so glad I did x now that I'm not able to do y and mm. and, and I think that's such a big factor I like that you sort of highlighted career paths when you were replying to me just then because what it made me think of was the fact that along with kind of taking the risk of moving from finance to teaching I also on paper you some people would say it was a demotion uh, hear me out on this one because I don't think it was a demotion at all but I was a director of trust company and then I became a trainee teacher so in terms of career ladder that sounds like trainee teacher is lower than director it isn't for me it was a massive massive leap forward in my career um, I feel that the work I'm doing that I did as a trainee teacher and that I'm doing as a qualified teacher is the most important work that I've ever done so there's also some advice as well as taking some risks and if if not now then when around doing what's right for you yeah absolutely now we've literally touched the surface in terms of tools and productivity here which is something I've not really covered very much before which is why I really wanted to have this conversation because I know it will help so many people but tell us exactly where people can find out about your podcast and listen to all the stuff that you you get involved in and how that can be supportive for them thanks Mark yeah I'll do that um if you want to find out more about my podcast and everything that I do, go to theteachingspace.com. It's as simple as that, really. Um, I've got, obviously, I'm a social media and stuff like that. All of the links are on that website, theteachingspace.com. You can subscribe to the show in all the usual places. So wherever you subscribe to Mark's show, you can subscribe to mine. And I cover productivity, but also the most important bit, the well-being, 
general teaching and learning stuff as well and a bit of a technology focus because I also enjoy technology a lot but mostly it's productivity and well-being and I don't specifically target what I do to any particular sector of education so even though I'm in FE it's not necessarily for FE I try to keep things as general as possible. Fantastic. Well, I think there's so much value there. And I think all of these things that we can do to to bring all this information to people who are working so hard and, and really under the cosh, especially at the moment, I think can only be of benefit. So, Martin, thank you for, for spending your time today and sharing your wisdom and your experience. It's been my pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me on the show. I'd like to thank the National Association for Primary Education for their continued support and sponsorship of this show. NAEP are currently supporting teachers by producing fortnightly videos which cover themes like art, school trips and literacy. Also they are giving away e-copies of their professionally produced journal Primary First. To find out more about the association please go to nape.org.uk. That's nape.org.uk. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.